In this morning's scripture, Paul links together two concepts that I don't usually associate with each other, love and power. When I think of love, I usually think of something softer, uh, more tender than power, like the romantic love between a couple or the, the tender love of a mother and a child, a baby. When I think of power, I think of something more forceful, even almost bullying, um, like an army overwhelming the enemy or a police officer uh, cuffing someone on the hood of a car, something forceful. They don't seem to me to be sympathetic to one another. And yet, as I said, in this part of Paul's letter to the Christians in Ephesus, he links power and love together. Specifically, he brings them together in a prayer. Paul prays that the Christians in Ephesus might have the power to love in the way that God wants us all to love. For Paul, it's not merely a tender feeling between people who are aligned somehow. For Paul, love is a force that can heal and restore relationships between peoples. At the same time, this type of powerful love isn't something that we can drum up on our own, out of ourselves. This type of powerful love originates from God in Christ. And so what Paul reveals here is that In order for us to love in a way that heals and restores, we must let Christ fill us and guide us with the Holy Spirit. Then we will be empowered to love as God would have us love. So again, a reminder that Paul has written this letter to a community that had been deeply divided but now has been brought together through their faith and their belief in Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. The community had been divided racially, culturally, religiously between the Jewish people and the Gentile people. The Gentiles had been treated with scorn and condescension. At the same time, the Jewish people had lived for centuries as an oppressed, colonized people. Each group hated the other and had not been shy about expressing that loathing. But Paul had been trying to teach them that now in Christ, the two peoples have become one people, Christians. Paul knows the history between these two. He's lived it himself. Paul understands the depth and the breadth of the wounds that have been created. So Paul prays. He prays for power and love. And both the power and the love have specific substance to them. The power is specifically the power of the Holy Spirit. And the love is the love of Jesus the Christ. 
Again, verses, uh, beginning at verse 16, skipping a little bit. um, Paul says, I pray that out of God's glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power through God's spirit in your inner being. And skipping to 18, that you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The power of the Holy Spirit and the love of Christ becomes our experience with the presence of Jesus Christ within us. As he writes in verse 17, I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. When Christ dwells within us, then we will be empowered to love in the same way as Christ. And Paul uses two different metaphors here to help us understand what he is after. He prays that Christians may be rooted, just as a tree is rooted in the soil, and that we may be established. And the word he uses is is for the building of a foundation, as you would build a foundation for a structure that's going to rise to great heights. I like what John Stott says about these images. They, in order to express how fundamental Paul longs for their love to be, he joins these two metaphors, both of which emphasize depth as opposed to superficiality. Again, Paul understands that a love that will be able to heal and restore relationships will need to be strong, forceful in its own way. He sees that strength, he sees that strength coming from the Holy Spirit at work within us with power in order that we might have some concept of of Christ's love that so fills us that it also flows from us to others. And it's important for us, especially in the U.S., to understand that this prayer is not for us as individuals. This prayer is focused on followers of Christ in community, not in isolation. All of the the pronouns, you, that Paul uses here, are plural. Again, that's one of those concepts that's hard to for us to, to, come, to get across in translation sometimes because we don't distinguish between the plural and the, unless you're from Texas and you say y'all, which I, But that's what is happening here is Paul is praying for the community. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom the whole family and earth derives its name. I pray that out of God's glorious riches, God may strengthen you all with power through his spirit in your collective inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts collectively through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted in established love, may have power. And it goes on like that. Again, this is 
for us in community, not in isolation. Verhi and, and Harvard, a, a professor at Duke and a pastor at First Presbyterian, um, uh, writes that they write together in their commentary, these petitions are for the church, not, at least not first of all, petitions for individuals within the church. Again, also in the Greek, uh, the part in verse 16 that the NIV trans- translates, uh, I pray that it will strengthen you through his spirit in your inner being. It's literally in the Greek, I pray that God will strengthen you through God's spirit into your inner man, which to us sounds very odd. They go on, Verhi and Harvard, to help us understand what Paul is saying here. It's a prayer that the church will grow into the inner man who is Jesus Christ. It is Christ, the one new man, who establishes the two groups into one new humanity. The petition is that the church will be empowered by the Spirit to grow into Christ. And Paul uses that metaphor over and over again in this letter, is that we might grow together as one body into the head who is Christ Jesus. In fact, one famous theologian, Marcus Bart, believes that inner man in this letter should be capitalized, that it's a proper noun. He says in Christ, uh, inner man, or excuse me, that inner man is synonymous with the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. When we are gathered together in community particularly, we are simultaneously gathered into the one body of Christ, and Christ dwells within us in very powerful ways. Paul alludes to this experience in that last verse, verse 19, when he prays that we might be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. Well, that happens when Christ dwells in us. As one commentary writes, In Christ, we know from Colossians especially, the fullness of God dwells. Therefore, as Christ dwells in us, the fullness of God is in us. We heard that in Jesus' prayer for all those who will believe in him because of the work of his his disciples, his apostles. Righteous Father, though the world doesn't know you, I know you and know that you have sent me. I have made you known to the apostles and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have, the love you have for me may be in them and all those who believe in me because of them and that I myself might be in them. When Christ dwells within us, we are empowered to love in ways that we're not able to love on our own. We're empowered to love in a way that heals and restores. The more that I've thought this week about this prayer of Paul's, the more I've realized how important power is to love. 
It's easy for us to love those who are lovable or who love us. But God calls us to so much more than that. From the very beginning in, in that Leviticus passage, I won't go through all of it again, but all of that stuff is hard. But then when he gets to love your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. And I like that. I'm God. Don't. <laughs> That's who's telling you to do this. Well, let's be honest. Some of our neighbors can be kind of hard to love. Some of our neighbors can be really annoying. But even more so, Paul is praying, Paul is praying in this letter for two peoples who have been bitterly divided and have hurt each other deeply. He's praying that they will be united together in love. And that takes a strength that I know I don't have on my own. I think perhaps the greatest example of a people who are living out this prayer in the United States in this, this time and have for centuries even, is the black church. Some of you saw the article from Dante Stewart that I reposted the other day on Facebook. The article is entitled, Why We Still Prophesy Hope. And it was uh, printed online by Christianity Today. In this article, Stewart writes of how the black church in the U.S. continues to, as he, he puts it, quote, reveal a relentless love in the face of evil. Evil, that I would say, has been perpetrated by white Christians for 400 years, and which continues to this day in various forms. In this article, Stuart speaks directly to this vital link of power and love. Let me read. He writes, in many ways, we have come to view love as sentimental a nicety. People use love to describe a feeling even when it carries no moral or ethical responsibility for them. Not so in the black faith tradition. For us, love has meant resistance and resilience. In the words of James Baldwin, it means that we shall, quote, force our brothers to see themselves as they are, to cease fleeing from reality and begin to change it. That's the end of Baldwin quotes, the Baldwin quote. Stuart goes on, this kind of radical life-changing, community-changing, world-changing love is, after all, the way of Jesus. He came preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and affliction. To prophesy hope is a dangerous love. It means that one cannot say love without the experience of liberation. And one, ought, one cannot say liberation without the goal of love. It calls us to be committed, and to be committed is to be in danger. Threat of loss, of power, authority, privilege, comfort, lies. It is a love that calls us to face ourselves, to face our sins, our history, our violence, our policies, our practices, and to do whatever it takes to change. He goes on and quotes, as Dr. King has told us, this is the quote from King, what is needed is a realization that power without love is reckless and abusive, and that love without power is sentimental and anemic. 
that he ends the quote for a moment, power at its best, and then he goes back to King's quote, is love implementing the demands of justice. And justice at its best is love correcting everything that stands against love. The fact, the fact that there are black Christians in the United States at all is, to me, a testimony of the power of Christ's love. That black Christians could see beyond the evil and the lies of the white Christians who were enslaving and selling and beating and raping and killing them, that they could see beyond that to the reality of who Christ is and the love that Christ has for them and for the world absolutely astonishes me. The black church is to me the most vivid example of the power of the Holy Spirit leading followers of Christ to love in a way that brings healing and restoration that I can think of. And this is the love that God calls us to as well. To love in a way that heals and restores. Unless we get discouraged and think, there's no way that I can do that, that we can do that. Paul prays that we might know the inexhaustible resources of love that we have to work with. Again, I pray that you being rooted and established in God's love, in the love of Christ, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I love what William Barclay says about this imagery. And this is what I, the, I, I knew that one of the kids would come up with the universe. And Barclay writes of this, it is as if Paul has invited us to look at the universe, to the limitless sky above, to the limitless horizons on every side, to the depth of the earth and the sea beneath us, and then said, the love of Christ is more than all of that. Or John Stott writes, it seems to me legitimate to say that the love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all humankind, long enough to last for eternity, deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner and high enough to exalt them to heaven. And Paul reminds us with this prayer that this is the love that fills each of us and us as a community and overflows through us. And therefore, with the Holy Spirit at work within us, we are empowered to love in the way that Christ loves us. Thanks be to God.